0: Good afternoon. You're listening to KSKQ 89.5 FM in Ashland, Oregon, and 94.1 FM in Medford, Oregon. It's the fourth Friday of the month, and that means it's time for Literary Ashland. I'm Michael Neiman. And I'm Ed Battistella. And we're here to talk about writing and writers in the Rogue Valley. Uh, and do we have any announcements? I, no, just that it's back to school time, so people will be uh, yes. checking in on various things, and we're mm-hmm. still. Uh, things are still kind of quiet in the Rogue Valley. Yeah, and whatever literary events they are, either have been canceled or are taking on a virtual format. So that's it. Why don't you introduce our guest? Yeah, today
1: our special guest is Joe Peterson. Um, Joe's a retired educator who's lived in Ashland for 23 years now. Um, He's taught history, political science, and education courses at Southern Oregon University and he managed the Teaching American History Federal Grants for the Southern Oregon Education Service District. Um, He's also presented lectures for the Southern Oregon Historical Society's Windows in Time series, and he's the author of three books, um, including uh, the book on Ashland for Arcadia Press's Image of America series, and now the very nice book, Hidden History of Ashland, Oregon, by the mm-hmm. History Press. So welcome, Joe. Thank you.
0: Good. We're glad to have you. Yeah. Uh, well, I should say that Joe and I were all two former colleagues. We would run into each other on a regular basis in Taylor, uh, at Southern, in the Taylor building at Southern Oregon University.
2: At one point, we shared an office.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, oh, good. Well, well, Joe, you've you've written two books on the history of Ashland. Um, how did you get interested in the topic? Well,
2: I I think uh, because I was new to Ashland uh, many years ago, twenty years ago, twenty plus years ago now. I just um, I think that's the way I get to uh, acclimate myself to a new community. Um, when I I was born in Tacoma, Washington, I taught. Taught uh, school in uh, Issaquah, Washington, and of course I had to write a, a history in Issaquah <laughs> because it was <laughs> a community. And so when I come to Ashland, I uh, I guess I just immerse myself in the local history because that's my way of sort of uh, uh, acclimating myself to the new town.
1: Yeah, I think that's it's always it's always great to sort of go around and ask people questions and find out what's going on and and just it it sort of satisfies that detective impulse in all of us to find out about our surroundings.
0: Yeah. But being interested in the history and then actually doing something about it is, is two separate things. And so what are some of the resources that you use to dig into Ashland's history and, um, or any local history for that matter in the town that you previously lived?
2: Well, Ashland, I think Ashland is blessed with... Uh, more historians than, uh, any town of 20,000 would ever have. Um, and some very good, uh, mm-hmm. quality historians. So I jumped right in with, uh, the ones that the people that most of you know about, uh, Marjorie O'Hara's book. I, I even acquired that before I moved to town. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and of course there was there are several others. And, um uh, so as a result, uh, there, there's really, uh, there are tremendous resources for Ashland. It's, it's kind of interesting. I was kind of amazed at how much there was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. and, and I, know, I know that some of the local newspapers have some great stuff, and I, I remember you uh, at one point sending me a, a clipping of Teddy Roosevelt's uh, visit to Ashland when they commented on his, um, his speech. Um, so you've, you've gone all the way back and actually worked with the primary sources and uh, all of that as well.
2: Well, one of the things that fascinated me about Ashland is how many sitting presidents had visited here. And I thought, wait a minute, this is a town of 20,000. This doesn't make, I mean, it was a town of, t- you know, five to 10,000 at one mm-hmm. point. How does this make any sense? Of course, this is what you say, the uh, historian's curiosity. Why? Why here? And uh, what I found was that uh, that's when I discovered that every, uh, uh, as a result of the railroad, every president uh, who was going north and south had to stop for uh, a new engine because of the uh, steepness of the (laughs) pass. And no no presidential candidate or or sitting president can uh, resist uh, uh, speaking out the back of of a train car when it stops in those days. And uh, even earlier, uh, uh, Hayes came uh, by stagecoach, which was pretty amazing, uh, as early as 1880. And so I got kind of intrigued with that whole thing. uh, Why all these presidents coming here? And and then pretty soon I figured out that it had a lot to do with the transportation systems and so forth.
1: Yeah, another another mystery sort of uncovered. Um, Well, do you have a favorite bit of uh, Ashland history? Something that you like, you sort of are most enamored of?
2: Well, you know, I enjoyed writing most everything in, that, in the new book. But I have to say that one of the things I think we have not done a particularly good job of as historians is uh, economic and uh, business history. We mm-hmm. have to do a lot of social history, and, and that's great, and I love social history, and it's all through the book here. Uh, but I particularly um, think we need to do a little more uh, exposure to some of the entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, I think uh, I enjoyed very much uh, Sid DeBoer and what he did with uh, Lithia Motors. I mean, the fact that you can go to Buffalo, New York, and find a lithium, find your license plate surrounded with a lithium uh, license plate frame is pretty amazing uh, when it started as a small little operation here in ashland Mm -hmm. um and then i look at the the bullet manufacturers which by the way i had to learn a lot about bullets Uh, (laughs) when i read that particular when i wrote that particular piece i'm I'm talking about nosler uh who developed a partition bullet he called it a two-phase bullet and the interesting thing about it is um, he did it for his own benefit because he liked to hunt uh, large animals he ended up doing that here in Ashland, um, and he eventually uh, moved the operation. It's still an operation in um, uh, well right over in in the central uh, Oregon right now uh, in the Bend area but it, it's it's sort of fascinating to me oh and then the guy, the guy uh, who uh, developed uh, uh, plates for uh, mouse traps of all things, Lincoln Logs, were no, mm-hmm. right. um, a lot of um, uh, toys were made out of uh, rough scrap that would have been burned otherwise. Um, so I kind of fascinated with some of these entrepreneurs and, and what they've done. And I so in some ways, I feel like that's a, a somewhat of a contribution uh, to the history uh, in this area or actually in any area, because we
1: really have kind of neglected that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Ashland is sort of more innovative than other places, or is it just a sort of um, artifact of our environment and the things that uh, show up here naturally? I, I, it's curious. Now that you mention it, i never really thought about this before, but we do seem to be sort of, you know, per capita, a lot more innovative than, uh, say, where I grew up in New Jersey. <laughs>
2: Well, uh, Ashland seems to me uh, to reinvent itself about every so many years mm-hmm. uh, and uh, may and it looks like it may have to do it again uh, with this pandemic i mean that's a, but it certainly has in the past reinvented itself yeah. and i don't know if if is that a particular spirit uh, is it because you have a university and you attract uh, uh, an intellectual uh, crowd that maybe is more inclined to, to that. Um, an awful lot goes back to Angus Bomer. Uh, and, you know, I mean, who in the world in the middle of the re- the depression would think you could run a Shakespeare festival? Yeah.
1: yeah well, that... I hope the university had something to do with it. That's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, It's uh, so, the, so there has been a lot of innovation here. Um, yeah. And, uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure why.
0: Well, I I think you already mentioned a little bit that that anybody who wants to go either north or south pretty much has to come through Ashland. And uh, maybe it's just because it's a very pleasant place to be that people get stuck here. Well, that's what
2: all the uh, early pioneers said. I'm always amazed if you read those early accounts, those diary accounts and so forth, Uh, how they constantly are talking about the environment here and Mm -hmm. how pleasant the the place it is. It it comes through very clearly. Of course, it also helped early on to be uh, halfway between where the gold was discovered in (laughs) California and then as it moves north up to Jacksonville area. um, Yeah. That certainly put us on the
0: map as well. Okay. Well, I see that in your book you have a chapter on uh, the question of the Carnegie Library, and it, apparently it was a question. Should we take tainted rubber baron money for a library? So what was that question about? I would always think that, duh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, sure, we'll have a library. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's
2: the way I looked at it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, when I probed into it a bit, I found, you, you realize that there's actually a whole volume, a book, on the On the libraries that rejected Carnegie, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was amazing, not an article, a book. And uh, so there were many, many that uh, people that felt that Carnegie was a ruthless businessman and exploited people, and therefore they weren't he was building shrines to his name, and they didn't like that. Oh. And actually, two of the council members in Ashland opposed uh, initially opposed a library here. For that reason, uh, they felt it was uh, blood money, so to speak. Um, later on, the issue became really very quickly that kind of passed away, and the issue became well, what part of town should we put it?
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that became a battle, and uh, it was not automatic that it ended up where it did. Uh, in fact, there was a tremendous outpouring of support for it to be right where Lith- right at the beginning of Lithia Park. Oh. Right in that area. Uh, and, and there were also arguments to have it further up on North Main. I mean, there were several arguments. But um, yeah, I know it does seem odd. The other complaint was that Carnegie was only giving you a shell, he was only giving you the building. Um, uh. You had to provide, the city had to tax itself for the library. And that meant the operation, the books, the furniture. All that had to be provided by the city, uh, and it was Carnegie's kind of clever way of uh, causing cities to rise above and uh, and improve things improve life uh, at least on that level so there's Carnegie's a fascinating character in his own right, but uh, in terms of him being um, pretty brutal as a businessman and yet at the same time uh Spreading these libraries all
1: over the world. Yeah, I, I have my students read his uh, essay on philanthropy in uh,
2: the Gospel of Wealth.
1: Yeah, the Gospel of Wealth. But mm-hmm. when I was reading the part about the Carnegie Library, I couldn't help but think that Ashland was Ashland even back then. <laughs> 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 yes, controversy. <laughs> Absolutely. So some of the hidden history was, uh, I had heard about before, um, Vladimir Nabokov and Erskine Caldwell. Um, but some of it was new to me. Uh, the gloveless baseball, I had never heard of that. And the, uh, Rose Maddox, you know, I see that Maddox revolution sign out on the highway, but I never quite knew what that was all about.
2: Well, I am in the same boat with you, but I watched the Ken Burns series and, um, Sure enough, Rose is, uh, and her family are pretty big players in that uh, series uh, at one point. And so I thought I had better include her because uh, she's kind of an interesting character. And then and then Caldwell's interesting too because uh, they're in the same cemetery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're both Southerners uh, who one sang about the uh, sharecropper life and the other one wrote about the sharecropper life. And and so it's kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition. Um, And the other, I'm trying to think, what was the other one that you mentioned that you. Oh, Gloveless Baseball. I had never, (laughs) it sounds dangerous. Well, it just shows you uh, how different baseball uh, was in the past Mm -hmm. and uh, how, you know, primitive. Well, I, I guess you'd call it primitive by today's standards, because we have great big baseball gloves now that they catch with, and, and uh, that was that just simply evolved from what looks like almost a um, a bicycle uh, mitt. You know, or initially, I have a picture of it in the in the uh, book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, base, town baseball was huge, as you know, all over the all over the United States, and mm-hmm. it certainly was was very big here. Um, And when they had a pitcher who could throw what they called a curved ball, as opposed to a curveball, just a regular curveball. And he was apparently really, really good, because they were undefeated when he was pitching. Mm,
0: Cool. In case you're just joining us, you are listening to Literary Ashland right here on KSKQ in Ashland, Oregon. Our guest today is Joe Peterson, a local historian who just wrote uh, and published a book on the hidden history of Ashland. Uh, you have plenty of photos in the book uh, from various sources, but many of those were yours as well. So how, what, what's your photo collection like? Uh, <laughs> extensive uh, <laughs>
2: okay. I also have the uh, the wonderful connection with uh, a local uh, Terry Skibby, and Terry has been collecting photos of Ashland his entire life he 's born oh, nice. and uh, now in his 70s and so uh, you 'll see a number of references in the book to uh, especially just below for credits below the pictures you 'll see uh, references to Terry Skibby but I have a, um, a collection as well. I've always been interested in politics and I have a number of campaign items and so forth and so that's, they're in there. Um, and uh, I've collected a lot, uh, a lot of uh, Ashland memorabilia, I guess you'd say. And so when, I, when that turns up, I usually purchase it and, uh, and mainly because I know that most of us are pretty much visual learners.
0: Mm. And
2: it's really nice to read an article. There's a lot of narrative in this book, but it's kind of nice to also have some pictures to uh, illustrate. I found that with the first book. Um, The reason I was interested in writing the second book, uh, the first book had uh, somewhere around 150 pictures. And so that's basically you're writing captions at that point. But This, this book has a much more narrative, but still, I still believe it's important to have a lot of pictures. This has about 60 pictures in it.
0: Oh wow, that's still quite a few. Wonderful, yeah. Yeah,
1: this is, I think, this has got a lot more text than the the other book, and one of the things that I was curious about as I was reading it, you know, you sort of start with crime, And you go on to literature, sports, innovation, tourism, um, and so on. How did you decide the categories to break up the history in? So this is, it's kind of much more interesting to me than one of these um, books where you have, you know, the 1910s and the 1920s and so on. Mm -hmm. It's sort of thematically organized. And I just wondered where you, uh, how you came up with the categories.
2: Well, I think... um... I think I was looking for commonality, um, and that's probably the way I selected a lot of them. Um, I, you, you were asking me earlier about uh, favorite stories in there. Um, I, I go to uh, Baxter's gym, which is for people over a certain age, over 50, <laughs> and um, I met a fellow there. Uh, who was in his 90s. And so I got interested in talking with him. And he's in the last chapter. And that's the chapter title, uh, A Brush With History. And this is um, Al uh, Willstatter. And I said, a witness to history in our midst. And the reason I uh, labeled uh, or put him in that category is because um, he's really a, a fascinating character, Uh, A lot of people who who have been in in a long time know about the swimming pool he used to run Mm -hmm. and they know about his involvement in politics, but they didn't know really how involved he was with Holocaust issues. And Mm -hmm. then later, uh, after the Holocaust issues, he was involved as an American soldier, went back as an American soldier and uh, was involved in Nuremberg decisions as to who was uh, tried and who wasn't and, uh, really an incredible story, but he's, he doesn't talk about that very much. And so I thought maybe I needed to focus on um, some of these uh, witnesses to history, so to speak, uh, as, as a way of uh, doing that. But I just tried to find commonality between the different sections. Um, and then just, I, I've always been thematic. I, I've never liked, frankly, I've never liked a chronological approach. Um, in terms of how I've organized stories. Uh, I'd much rather do it uh, this way. Yep. And another story I really enjoyed uh, working on was the uh, the golf course. Um, oh, I yeah. I've been hitting golf balls out there for a lot of years, and I knew there was a cemetery, <laughs> but I didn't know why. <laughs> and, and, I mean, how many golf courses have a cemetery on the fourth hole? And um, I um, – I realized that uh, that was odd, but I just never pursued it. And so then I started looking into um, uh, the cemetery in general and the history of the cemetery. And I realized it was built in 1927, and it was uh, typical of the growth of cemetery, or excuse me, <laughs> golf courses throughout the United States. <laughs> and so I, I kind of followed that along. But And I tried to find history. You talk about where do you go to find your history. I was really dumbfounded. I interviewed people who I thought would know about the history of the golf course. I got some help from the pro there now, Uh, Patrick. Uh, But by and large, there isn't much written or anything written about it. So then I thought, well, maybe there's no story here. Maybe there's not much to this. And then Mm -hmm. I interviewed a fellow who whose father in the 1950s and 60s wanted to expand the cemetery. And he took it over from the city for a period of time and sent his son, as many uh, many of the uh, uh, area, uh, sent his son down to do a lot of the sort of what his son called the dirty work, uh, Mm -hmm. clearing out brush and brambles and so forth, because it had fallen into a lot of disuse at one point. And, He was out there on his tractor one day, he said, and he was supposed to clear the corner down there uh, by the fourth hole. And he had a big blade on this tractor so he could clear brush out quickly and easily. And he proceeded to, uh, uh, to plow into this corner and he heard this clunk, clunk, clunk. He got off his tractor and sure enough, he was hitting tombstones. That had been long buried <laughs> in oh the of the uh, cemetery uh, because uh, it's from an old pioneer land claim, uh, and that was not uncommon, as you know, for pioneers to be buried, uh, bury their family uh, on their property. Mm-hmm. And uh, this had been long forgotten, and uh, I, I, all of a sudden, I decided, you know, there's a story here. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> because yeah. before that. <laughs>
2: I wasn't sure what I was going to say
1: about a 1927 cemetery or, or excuse me, golf course. That would be a tough one to, yeah, I was going to joke that uh, you need a cemetery on a golf course. If you have a lot of bad golfers,
2: but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of potential, uh, but I, I couldn't resist the final yeah. line in that particular story. I thought it wrote itself. I, I said, it's uh, still best not to slice your ball on the fourth whole <laughs> where, they, where the the family is at rest, yeah, okay yeah. there's, there's so, something,
1: what, so something for everyone in the book, I think
2: yeah, <laughs> well, definitely I think there's, I I think, think there's yeah. bits of humor in
0: there that may be interesting too, yeah so what do you imagine the hidden history of Ashland will be in a hundred years oh, um. Well, as I said earlier, I do think Ashland
2: uh, has a lot of energy and will reinvent itself. I'm just Mm -hmm. not sure how that will take place and exactly what will happen. Maybe there'll be more diversity of um, employment. Maybe there'll be a a different uh, focus. Not not, uh, that Shakespeare or live plays and so forth wouldn't be done, because as I wrote in there, there was actually live plays of Shakespeare done here before Beaumont. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the you know turn of the previous century, but I it's I'm not much of a futurist uh, at <laughs> predicting, but I do think uh, this town has enough energy; it will reinvent itself. I just don't know what shape it will take. Yeah.
1: yeah. So so if anybody listening out there sees themselves as the next Angus Bomer, this is your chance to, yep. uh, to get your. I think, I think maybe a future if, hidden if, history or, of Ashland.
2: We, we need some entrepreneurs um, mm-hmm. we need some uh, some folks that are business savvy to maybe uh, step forward as well because um, in the past that that's been successful for some people
0: mm-hmm. yeah, well, I'm just oh go ahead
1: no, said, I'm just sort of thinking of of the things that I see around town and wondering which of them will sort of you know be the things that are are landmarks in a hundred years. And and it's really sort of, um, I think it would be an interesting um, exercise for a history class to take a walk around town and figure that out. It would.
2: I I did write about the the early monuments that are Mm -hmm. in town. And uh, unfortunately they've been subject to a certain amount of vandalism. So they're not quite as hardy as they were, but they were mostly put up a hundred years ago which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting because they were trying to uh, remember the pioneer families. They were mostly in honor of the early pioneers. And oh. uh, we don't, we don't have the controversies that other parts of the country do. We don't, you know, have uh, civil war memorials or things like that that people oh. are arguing over. Uh, but uh, it, I, I, what would be, I, I guess, another way to put it, what, what would be the, um, the statues, the memorials, the mementos of the future. Um, yeah, that that would be an interesting comparison. hmm Because certainly the pioneer generation did commemorate themselves for
0: their families. Cool. Well, so, we're kind of getting close to the end, so want to get you one last question. And that's what what are you working on right now? Any projects that you'd like to mention, or any presentations that people might be able to see? Uh, uh, well, normally,
2: um, I do do um, uh, some presentations for the Southern Oregon Historical Society at their, you know, their noon sessions uh, and things like that. But right now, uh, things are, as you know, pretty shut down. Um, and uh, so the odd opportunities to speak at Kiwanis or Rotary or those kind of places just isn't the same. Yeah. Uh, so I at this point, I'm just... Um, introducing the book wherever I can and uh, uh, I'm not sure you know it's an interesting question i am never I'm never quite sure what I'm going to look at next or what I'm going to tackle next but um, I'm I'm always sort of questioning things and uh, uh, I I haven't landed on anything particularly right now
0: good well that's wonderful I'm sure I mean given given your creativity and your questioning that will only be a short time before you find another project that you can sink your teeth in. You mean Uh, more hidden stories? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, more hidden stories, I'm sure of it. Well, that brings us to the end of our show today. You've been listening to Literary Ashland right here on KSKQA 9.5 FM in Ashland, Oregon. Our guest today was Joe Peterson, retired educator and historian, who wrote a book that just came out, A Hidden History of Ashland, Oregon. Thanks for being with us, Joe. It was wonderful to have you and wonderful to hear your voice again. Yeah, I really enjoyed the book. Thank you. Thank you very much. And until next month, good words to everyone. Goodbye. See you next month.